I know last week I said I would end City Chapel Reborn, but I'm going to resurrect it and bring one more message in uh, here. But before we get into the message, I want to remind you and show you a picture of my miracle bush. I introduced this miracle bush at our summer retreat because this has been probably the most vivid picture that God has been teaching me through in this last few months. And I mentioned to you, this is my front little area. Our house is over here. It's an eight by two little potting area, garden, if you want to call it. And um, I had this little tiny bush over there that, you know, there was a bunch of bushes here. And I, I cut all of these down and I saved the one, just the one, two and a half years ago, February of 2014. And I left it over there. Now, this was just all dirt. And I redid this part. And as I looked at that this last summer, in two and a half years, it neither grew nor died. That to me is a miracle. It stayed as green as ever through every season, 12 months a year, but it did not grow an inch in two and a half years. And I looked at that bush right before our summer retreat, and as I've mentioned, I saw my heart. Neither growing nor dying. And I saw our church neither growing nor dying. And it was a miracle that the leaves could stay that green, but it would not produce new leaves or fruit, in a sense. And I took that picture with me, and we went into our summer retreat, and that was the start. My personal and pastoral renewal was August the 4th of this year. Our church, I believe, was reborn on August the 12th, that first Friday of our summer retreat. And this has stuck with me. And so I told you at the summer retreat, right? I gutted this again, and I put fresh potting soil over here, and I took that out, and I transplanted it right here with new soil. And it was about changing the soil. And it's a lot of pressure for me to look at this now, because in my mind, this represents my heart and, my ch- and our church, right? So it's got to grow. It's got to grow, right? And... Uh, uh, I measured it, right? It was 15 inches that particular time when I, when I took it. And I showed you this picture, right? That this is what it was. Stayed this color forever. And I'll tell you, I go out to that front area. And when I water it, and when I look at it, I take a lot of pictures of it like I do my children, right? It's kind of funny. And this past week... I was beaming as if we had a new child, as if Sela, a child like Sela was born into our family. I was beaming with joy. You don't know why? <sighs> Look at that! Look! Look! How can you not be happy about this? But I'll tell you, I was a little fearful because leaves were dying. <laughs> This had never happened before. It literally stayed like this for two and a half years. No new leaves, nothing fell off. But after I transplanted it, leaves started to brown and die. And I was worried, God, are you saying that our church is going to brown and die? And I was honestly a little worried about it. But this past week when I went out, when I saw, it grew an inch. It grew an inch. And let me zoom in to those two little areas there. This one right here is the main branch of the entire bush. It's the first one that goes up right in the center. That's this one right here, the oldest one. 
This one here is an offshoot. The first offshoot of the stem is this one right here. And this past Friday, as we were praying, God, as we closed the Friday, Friday prayer, God was reminding me of this bush, and He was saying that from the longest existing stem of the church, City Chapel, there will be new fruit. And I saw these leaves come out. And I, I, I tell you, um, I look at this on a regular basis, and it reminds me of the faithfulness of God and how confident and faith-filled I am in this season as we march forward as a church. And I look at some of the leaves, and I have to accept the fact that I think that as we rechange the soil and the environment and the spirit of our church into a praying church, into a church that is getting ready, that there are going to be some leaves that fall off. But God is promising that from the core of our church, there will erupt new fruit and new leaves. And so I'm tremendously encouraged, and I hope that you can be encouraged by this as well. And I'll give you regular updates, I promise, okay? You're going to get sick of me, right? It's like that parent that shows photos of the child every single day eating food. And like, okay, I mean, that's cute, right? That's cute, that's cute. But get used to this bush. Pick a name. That'll be my homework. (laughs) Well, today's message is this. Is this what I want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Now, I'm on a roll. Last week, I set a record for the longest sermon title ever in 20 years of ministry, right? From 19 to 39, it was a record, right? It was 11 words long. What chargers are for my phone, prayer is for my heart, right? Today, I break that record with 12 words. Is this what I want to be doing when Jesus comes back? And I have some punctuation there as well to add to that record. We're going to be in Matthew 24 today. Please flip. Actually, you know what? Flip to Acts chapter... Flip to Matthew 24, bookmark it with your finger, and then flip to Acts chapter 1. Bookmark... Matthew 24, and then move to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, as we know, is uh, the ascension of Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit And so after he had ascended into the sky, these disciples are are staring and looking into the sky. And this is what it says in verses uh, 10 and 11. As they were gazing intently into the sky, speaking of the disciples, while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing, angels, stood beside them, and they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way, to, uh, uh, in, in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And it talks about how they went back to Jerusalem. They went to an upper room, and they continually prayed. It talks about that to the other verse, remaining verses of this particular chapter. Now go to Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, starting from verse 37, Jesus 
to remind you is teaching the disciples in a private conversation two days before Passover and his ultimate crucifixion. This is crunch time. He's speaking the most important things to the most important people of his earthly ministry, those 12 disciples. Okay? He's gathered them in a secret meeting, teaching arena, place, and he's teaching many things. And of those things that he says, this is some of what he says. In verse 37, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. And so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there shall be two men in the field, and one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Verse 42. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you be ready too, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and shall begin to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and shall cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Weeping shall be there, and the gnashing This is my main idea for this message. Being ready for Jesus' return is not about staring into the sky, but about staying on assignment. When Jesus was ascending into heaven, these disciples and all of the people of Galilee were looking intently into the sky because Jesus had promised before he left, I'm going to come back. And so they know not when he was going to come back, only that he said he would. And so they're looking into the sky and angels appear and say to these folks, Hey, stop staring into the sky. Stop staring. He's going to come back in that same manner. And it kind of shook some sense into them. And then they stopped looking into the sky and then they remembered what Jesus had said. Stay in Jerusalem. Stay there. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they find an upper room and they continually begin to pray. To me, looking into the sky is almost symbolic of that super spiritual, almost that mystical experience in person. To the person that is always intently thinking about spiritual things, which is good, and I don't want to paint a negative picture of that. But what I am saying is this, that we can be so focused on Jesus coming back and just staring into this spiritual space that we forget about the assignment that Christ has given to us while we remain. Faithfully staying on assignment is super practical. And if we want to be ready for Jesus' return, that we need to stop preoccupying ourselves about when He will return, 
and start doing the things He asked us to do before He does. So what is the assignment? It's a no-brainer. Scripture is clear. When people went to Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, I want you to love God with everything that you got. All of your heart, soul, mind, spirit, soul, everything that you got. Without reservation, you love the Lord. That is your first assignment. Your second assignment is to love your neighbor selflessly. Just like you love yourself with all intent, I want you to love others. That sums up all of the law of the prophets, he says. That in this great commandment is really the identity that Christ desires for us to have as His followers. But I want to give to you the Great Commission as well. These are the two greats of the New Testament. The Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And summed up in these two greats, you will find five dimensions of Christian living that are absolutely important absolutely important, that you can actually sum up the assignment of God that He has for us in these two greats, that He desires for us to live a life of worship, He desires for us to live a life of service, He desires for us to live a life of evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship. And we are to go into all of the nations to declare Christ, We are to bring them into community by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not to just be converts and outsiders, but brought into community. That is fellowship. And to teach them all that Christ has said. The heart and the words of Christ. The ways of God. To teach people that. This is the assignment that God has for us if we consider ourselves followers of Jesus. And so, in verse 46 of our our chapter, it says, Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. And to me, this is what the master should be finding me doing when Jesus returns. That I want, when when I see Jesus again, whether by death or by rapture, I want to be doing one of these five things. Because as I see in what Jesus is teaching about that faithful slave, that blessed is that slave whom the master finds so doing what he left him to do when he comes back. And as I look at Scripture, I see the preeminence of worship and service and evangelism and fellowship and discipleship of the Christian faith. That's what I want to be doing. One, if not more, of these things when I see Jesus again. That when He looks at me in bodily form, whether by rapture or at my spirit at my death, I want to be doing one of these things. As I... look at that and try to examine my schedule, my calendar. As you look at what you do on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, real, real practical. These yellow words right here, how much a part of your calendar are these? Because as Jesus comes back, 
He's going to be looking for faithful servants. Now, don't worry about bad timing. What do I mean by bad timing? You all experienced this. You were like working all day, you know, all like you worked seven hours straight. You even skipped your lunch. And the very moment you're doing like an off thing, checking social media, finding some different thing on the internet, taking a break, that's when the boss shows up. That's bad timing, right? That's bad timing. It's like, you know, I'm like preparing something for, for hours and Jenny comes when I'm on Facebook. It's like, is that what you've been doing for three hours as you've been sitting down there? No, I, I, I really, I've been doing something else. This is bad timing, right? right? I need not worry about bad timing when I think about Jesus as my master. Because he's not short-sighted like my bosses or our spouses. That he sees us from that perspective. And when he comes back, he wants to find his followers doing these things, staying on assignment. We've talked about Matthew 25, and as we get now into Matthew 24, talking about the identity and direction of what we want to be as a church. We've talked about those parables, right, in Matthew 25. The ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and Jesus' teaching that... Come, all of you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you. And he's talking about when I was hungry and thirsty and naked and in prison, a stranger. And when I was all of these things, you served me, you cared for me. And the righteous shall say, when were you hungry and thirsty and naked and stranger and in prison? And all of these things, that we did these things for you. And Jesus' reply is, to the extent that you did it for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it unto me. And we talked about those three teaching points in Matthew 25 and how that must become a roadmap for our church. And as we look into all of those teaching points and now even what we read today, I see interwoven in all of that a balance in the Christian life. As we think about when Christ comes back, what we are to be doing, as we think about all of these teaching things, I see a balance between two things, immediacy and patience. Immediacy is that virgin, those five virgins who immediately took those flasks of oil and were ready from the get-go to refill their lamps. It was the people who received the five and the two talents and says they immediately put their talents to work and they got a return for it. And there was a sense of immediacy, doing it now, leveraging and unleashing my talents now being filled on a daily basis. There is a sense of immediacy in the Christian faith, of doing what I ought to be doing now, living daily before the Lord, faithful in His eyes. But there's also the element of patience. It was the bridegroom who delayed, it says. It was the master who took a long time to return. And here in our teaching, in the latter verses of Matthew 24, talking about that faithful slave, and when the master, there were two slaves, one was just immediately doing everything that was necessary on a daily basis, and the other one was thinking, you know what? He's not going to come for a while. And so it's balancing living in the moment and getting ready for the journey. And it's about balancing those two aspects. And I I see that every We have to be able to know how to live in the moment, but also be ready for a longer journey, that patience is integral to the Christian faith. I think managing a household is the perfect analogy for this. 
managing a household. I mean, if you've got kids, I mean, think about it. There's a sense of immediacy. I mean, you cook once for the kids. <laughs> Great. I, your freezer can only stock so much food, you know. You clean up once. You, you go grocery shopping once. You get the kids ready for school once. There's daily activity here that you've got to do it every day. And it seems mundane. I mean, you've all heard stories, right, of there's a person, whether a housewife or a house husband, staying home, and they do all of this work, and the person who works comes on, what did you do all day? What, 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 did, you, what did you do? But there's all of these things that need to be done immediately each and every day, and they need to be repeated each and every day. And there's a sense of faithfulness of doing it on a daily basis. But there's also the patience required because there's not an immediate payoff for everything that we do in raising our kids now. We send them to school once. We feed them once. We teach them once. We discipline them once. We love on them once. Great. But it takes patience to see the ultimate fruit of that. But the payoff of what we do on a daily basis is usually down the journey somewhere. And being able to balance that. Think about a road trip that you're on. You have a destination. You're going to go to, to one of our, I mean, travel to Seattle, right? And so I'll use that destination. You have a road trip up to Seattle, and you've mapped out the I-5. You're going to go to this park, and you're going to stop in this city. And it's perfect right from the beginning. I'm going to leave at this time of day. I'm going to drive five hours sleep and then get up in the morning and do this many hours the next day. You plan it out if you're a planner, Right? And there are, are, are the, this long-term goals and plans that you've already set out, but there's also this need for immediacy, that there's traffic on the freeway that you're on, and it's like Google Maps redirecting you. Right? And so there's immediate turn-by-turn things that you can do in life to, to not switch the destination, but alter course a little bit. In order to live on a daily basis, you have to be sensitive to the need of the moment. But we can't lose sight of the goal or the destination and the journey that we're on. And so we're Christians. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ, 2,000 years ago Jesus ascended and He says, I'll be back. I'm coming back. And before I do, this is how I want you to fill your life, your days, your identity to be. And so we're looking now, okay, Jesus is coming back. He's, he tells us to not have treasure on earth, but to have treasure in heaven and to store it there. And so I do that. How do I do that? I want to live with a heavenly mindset. And that's our ultimate destination and the goal of our Christian lives. But there are day-to-day things that He, he wants us to involve ourselves in. That we can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Or we can be so earthly minded that we are heavenly lost. To be able to understand that God desires things for my life now. That immediacy and patience. This is all necessary. A couple of years ago, I I thought about this as I was getting ready. It was was weird. Uh, A couple of years ago, Jane and I had this, we had a dog before. You know, our dog's name was Lucky. And um, we always, my last name is Chun, C-H-U-N. But it's a, you know, I'm Korean ethnicity-wise, and in the Korean language, it's pronounced Jun. It's like J-U-N is the actual phonetic pronunciation of it, but my last name in English is C-H-U-N, so it's Chun. And um, in Korean, the culture, you have your last name first, and you usually have a two-syllable first name that goes after that, and that's in many Asian cultures where you kind of see that particular sequence of, of your name, last name, and then your first name. 
And so in Korean, my Korean name is Chun Hong Jun, right? And as sometimes we have this, this joke and, you know, um, what is it? You use your last name and you have like funny words, right? If your last name is Chung, you, you name your kid Paji, Chung Baji, you know, blue jeans type thing, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, right? And uh, we kind of use the Chun and there's a word in Korean which is slowly, right? Chunchani, right? And so we always joke that we would name our child slowly, right? And he would be called Chunchani, right? And uh, we would always say like, Chunchani, paliwa, right? Slowly, come quickly, right? It's like, what do, what do I do? It's like, it's that, it's that balance. And I feel as though that there are a lot of things in our lives where we're seeing these du- dual things that we're trying to balance. Do, do I move slowly? Do I move quickly? Do I act now? Do I be patient? What Where's the payoff and where are all of these things? And the Christian life is all about understanding the day-to-day operations, but never losing sight of the goal, the journey, the destination that we're headed to. And I think this will help us answer that question. Is this what I want to be doing when Jesus comes back? I told you about an example some time ago. I went to a, a faith and family conference up at Pepperdine University some years ago, and Francis Chan had come as a, as a speaker for that little seminar conference. And by the way, he's a, he has huge hands. Like, his hands are like that big. I, I kid you not. I kid you not, right? I kid you not. I feel like he could like, wrap his whole hand around my face. It was that big. And he shared one particular um, example from his life that will never leave me. He was watching a play with his grandmother one day. And you know plays, they have this intermission between the first part and the second part. And at the intermission, the grandmother goes to Francis and he says, let's go. And Francis was like, um, why is it bad? Do you not like it? What's, what's going on? And the words that came out of her mouth never left him. And as he spoke it, it never left me since. And what she said was, I just don't know if I want to be here if Jesus chose to come back. And it floored him because what he realized in that moment is that this woman actually believes the Bible. This woman actually believes that Jesus can come in any moment. And to live moment by moment thinking that Jesus can come back and is this the very task that I want to be seen doing if he chose this moment to return. We're not talking about a spying boss and always looking over our shoulder, making sure we're on task. But Jesus just sincerely wants us to be involved with worship, service, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship. And he's called us as Christians to do these five things. And when we see him again, whether we see him riding on the clouds or whether we see him at the gates of heaven, Will he see us as that faithful slave? I'm going to slowly wrap this up. In John chapter 14, you don't have to flip there, I'll read it for you. In John 14, verses 2 and 3, praise team, you guys come back. Jesus said this. This is again another part of his speaking and teaching before the end of 
of that road that led to Calvary. And he said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And earlier in Matthew 24, verse 14, it says this, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. As I marry those two verses, that there are many rooms in the Father's house, and Jesus is going to prepare those rooms. And as I see what is spoken in Matthew 24, that the gospel shall be preached to all the nations as a witness, and to all of the world. And then that end shall come. There's many rooms because God wants those rooms to be filled with many people from all nations. And that's why He's given us those two assignments, the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. To love God with everything. To love our neighbors selflessly. To be able to preach the gospel and share Christ's love with the motivation of being a witness. To be able to incorporate and bring people into community and to be able to teach God's Word in His heart in a faithful way. And so I end with two summary points. And the first is this. Heavily integrate the five dimensions of Jesus' assignment into your daily and weekly life. And notice I didn't use the word replace. It's not like, okay, quit your jobs and just worship 24 hours a day. right? I didn't say replace what you do on a daily basis with those five things. Heavily integrate worship and service and evangelism and fellowship and discipleship. Heavily integrate and let those things permeate your daily and weekly lives. And as we learn how to worship through our work, as we learn how to disciple not just in a church context, but also in a different context, as we learn how to serve not just on a Sunday, but our fellow co-workers through the week, as we learn how to, to incorporate these things into our daily and weekly lives, I think Christ is going to be happy and He's going to look at us and say, hey, I see you as a faithful, faithful servant. So heavily integrate them. And lastly, after integrating, just stay on assignment. Let's take our gaze off of the sky and bring them into the daily life that projects and adds day by day to our final destination and goal. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.